listening to Writers Off Topic, the podcast that takes a light-hearted dive into writing life, with your hosts Craig Hallam and Miranda Dickinson. This week, writing a first draft, top author snacks, and classic author snog marry avoid. Hi, Craig. Hi, Miranda Dickinson. How are you since the last time we witted on the microphone? I mean, I'm two weeks older. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm very chuffed because we have listeners. Yes. And when we recorded last time, we weren't sure we were even going to share with anybody, let alone ask for (laughs) listeners. So I'm very excited. Well, I genuinely thought, like like we were just saying, I genuinely thought it was going to be Bob, Laura, and then maybe my mum. Yeah. And then how many have we had in the end? We've had 60. We've just gone to 60 downloads. Oh, I mean, 60 in the first week. 60 in the first week. And we have news on the SWAT front as well, don't we? <laughs> we do have news on the SWAT front, yes. Uh, so, huge thanks. We're just Sorry, I know we are going to talk about writing in a minute, but we um, we're just going to do a little bit of housekeeping first. I'll get me broom. I'll get me broom. Just two seconds. I'll get me jiff. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who got in touch because we've had loads of questions, loads of nice comments on all our social media. Uh, we've also got three patrons. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Three. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so thank you so much to Erin and Katie, uh, who've joined us on the Infusions tier, to Emma Louise, who joined literally half an hour ago. <gasps> Brand um, new. she's brand new she has no idea what she's in for but she's joined (laughs) on the brewing the mug tier so she's gonna get a mug in the mail craig and miranda are holding up what pod themed mugs that have their names on one side and what pod writers off topic on the other (laughs) that are the coolest mugs in the whole of podcastdom so if you went to one of those you can support us on Patreon, so it's good. But hello, lovely yeah. swatters, supporters hello. of we Writers of Talking. Good swats. We knew that we'd have swats. It's all good. We've had lots of people subscribing. We've had our first review on Apple Podcasts, and it wasn't go away, you strange people. <laughs> yeah. Wittering on it, wittering on about anything to do with writing. There were almost no swear words in there. <laughs> we were very good, but we've we've been listed as a clean one, so we've got to, otherwise we'll be we'll oh, be chucked enough. off. Yeah, so Yes, we need to say again, which we did say in the pilot episode, but if it's the first time you're listening to us, then hello and welcome. <laughs> if you want to listen to the podcast, you can always listen for free. You don't have to support us on Patreon. There was a little bit of confusion after the first one went out because we were obviously talking about we just set up the Patreon. We we're very excited to have one. But you can listen to it for free on all the uh, the various different places that you're listening to it right now um and we're not going to beg you for money in order to listen to us if you would like to help you welcome but what we would say is if you're listening on something like apple podcasts or uh, amazon music or audible could you leave us a little review and if you if you could subscribe to us because then that's the best way to make sure that you get these eps as soon as they drop oh these eps as soon as they drop do yeah, you hear baby. that lingo <laughs> yes yeah, so uh thanks to everybody who asked us some questions we actually have tons um, so yeah today we're going to answer uh the question that came in from kate Hedlund, and it goes a little something like this i thought you were going to sing it then i was like bah, 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 bah. <laughs> i was just thinking there's a run dmc song that starts with check this out and i nearly Oh, no it. don't do that because as i found with mike because i do a weekly facebook live show 
And at some point I sang something. I can't remember. They thought that I had done 36 seconds of copyrighted material. I'm not sure how, because it's just a talky one. They muted me for 36 36 seconds of the of the video they muted they didn't tell me which 36 seconds so I still don't know what it was um and then they wouldn't let me pin my posts for two weeks I was in I was in pin post jail I didn't even know there was one in Facebook so the question from Kate goes a little something like this um in light of you seemingly knocking out books left right and center these days I'm interested to know when you both write if you're a word count per day peeps or it's due any minute types how, how long a first draft of getting the story down takes you and how long usually from idea to finished draft? Great, we this might even stay on topic with this one, Craig, yeah. you never know. Um, <laughs> we might, chances are low, but we might. We edit the podcast, so it's fine, it's probably a good That's thing. Fine. That's fine. Do you want to go first? When do you write? What, how do you uh, find time to write? <laughs> I don't find time to write. <laughs> that's that's the short answer, Kate. Thanks for asking, and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs> I have to pick any five minutes, ten minutes that I can any time during the day. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I used to have a really good routine, but as I've changed jobs, you know, you have to stir things up, and you know, your routine changes, things like that. I used to only be able to write first thing in the morning, but now I do it at absolutely any time during the day. Yeah. Lunch break, um, any five minutes I get when I'm waiting for an email, you know, things like that. Oh my God, don't tell the boss. He doesn't listen, you're fine. Any, so anytime, really, for me. It is for me too, actually. Before I had flow, I always had a day job and then I'd write when I came home. Um, so I'd start work six o'clock, seven o'clock at night and then I'd go into the night. But I'm a night owl. I'm not one of these people that can wake up bright and early at five o'clock and, and, you know, write a thousand words because I need at least two cups of tea to even <laughs> be human. And my brain just doesn't, it doesn't kick in. And I've tried, I have tried. This is the thing, this is where talking about writing is really good or hearing writers talk about writing is really good because yeah. until I met writers that I, that I could actually trust what they say. I've never met one of those. <laughs> Every time I went to any kind of writing event, I heard about people getting up at five o'clock and writing or people doing kind of like office hours. So they'd take the kids to school and then they'd sit down at 9.30 and they'd do half an hour of, of admin and emails and stuff. And then they'd start writing at 10 and then they'd take a break for lunch at one o'clock. And then they'd write till three o'clock when they had to go and pick up their kids. Oh, and I remember organized. going, yeah, I remember thinking, yeah. well, maybe I'm doing it wrong because I'm getting home from work. And I'm starting at six and I've been taking notes all through the day. Like I say, notes, the notes up on your phone is really useful. Yeah, yeah, I do the same. Yeah. Maybe going to the toilet for five minutes longer than you need to just say, because you've got a really good idea. And you're gonna a good go piece of there. dialogue that you really need to oh, just, right just, oh, I'll be back in a minute. Yeah, I I so I, I would do that and then I'd get home and then I would literally write until I was falling asleep on the keyboard. And in fact, when I first met Bob, because I had just, I got my first, I signed my first book deal about the year after I met Bob. So it was still quite new. He knew that I wrote already. Yeah. Um, but there was one time before we before we, we lived together and he stayed at my flat and he came, came out of the room at about two o'clock in the morning. And I was fast asleep. I used to sit on this little, <laughs> a little tiny sofa in my flat where I wrote the first five novels. First, first five uh, books that I had that went as to Sunday's Times bestsellers, which is quite funny. People say, show us where you write. So this really grubby Ikea sofa that isn't even mine. <laughs> that, there's where I write. Um, and I was I was fast face planted on my laptop um, and he tried to take the laptop away from me and apparently I growled at him. 
did you say about Tibetan life me there? I had it. I did. It was great because I wrote about sixteen thousand words, but they were just all like <laughs> just aware of my face had hit the keyboard. Um, but yeah, I used to just write through the night, and I would very often write until five o'clock in the morning, and then go to sleep for an hour, and then get up and go to work. And I did that. I mean, that's before I had flow, obviously. But yeah, so I did that, and and that was what I was doing. And so I thought maybe I've done it wrong. And so when I decided that I was going to go full time, which is basically when I found out I was expecting flow, so I didn't want to go back to the job that I was in because it was horrible. Yeah. Um, and it was just getting too much at that point. It was like to to write a book a year, and to do that as well, it was just yeah. too much. Um, so I handed in my notice, but I was like four months pregnant at that point, and so it was I wasn't going to have that long as a full-time writer before I was also then a full-time mom um but I thought well yeah I'll do that I'll get up and I'll set everything out and I did it office hours you know starting at nine o'clock and doing all my stuff and by three o'clock I'd done like 200 words and it was ridiculous and so later that evening I did my normal time of going and between nine and ten I wrote three thousand words so it's just my brain is just that way but you hear so many people saying that they're morning writers or that they're office hour writers that you can end up thinking I'm doing this wrong um so yeah with me it's like that and then obviously when I had flow I didn't have any maternity I had two weeks maternity leave (laughs) this is the first two weeks that I'd come out of surgery um and then it was just whenever she slept typing one-handed on my phone then sending it to my email address then downloading it when I could try not to fall asleep at the computer and I really beat myself up about it and then a friend a very good friend of mine said you do know that thinking time is as important as writing time and I was like sorry what like she went no because you can't if you can't actually physically sit down with your laptop and you can't write but you've got all day of nappies and naps and and all of this stuff other stuff that you've got to do washing up like I found washing up is where I get I work out all my plot plot points when I'm washing up which is why we don't have a dishwasher because that's where all my some of my best ideas come that 10 minutes it all gets sorted but she said just see if you spent a whole day thinking about your book by the time you get in front of a laptop you're not going to be sitting staring at a screen because you're raring to go but you've worked out a lot of the stuff beforehand and that really helped me as well I think a lot of the time when you're a writer it's learning that you, you find your own way and you find your own path through it. What you've just said, actually, about having time to think is a massive deal as well. Well, it, it has been for me. Yeah. I've only learned about thinking time maybe in the last year because I've always just kind of done it whenever I've had the time. Um, and then, you know, life gets complicated, doesn't it? And I didn't realize that the reason that I couldn't write wasn't necessarily because I didn't have time to sit and write. It was because I hadn't done the pre-thinking that I used to do. Yes. I actively take time to look like I'm doing nothing. You know, people are like, oh, being a writer must be easy. You just sit there staring out of a window. It's like, no, I mean, yeah, I am staring out of a window, but, you know, the cogs are, are whirring, you know, the little hamsters on the wheels <laughs> Because if I don't let the hamster run before I sit down, he sits there looking at me going, well, I don't know, Eve. So <laughs> The writing hamster of your uh, mind. Yeah. <laughs> Herman, Herman, the writing hamster. Amazing. Uh, yes, I love exactly it. Do you find that you have a writer face? <laughs> I have no idea. Because Bob says I have a writer face, particularly now that I'm writing crime novels as well as... Uh, contemporary romance we'll sit down and he'll be talking at me and I just have this look and he just goes no we're eating now we're not thinking about because I just suddenly go oh 
hang on a minute they could do this and and it is a proper writer fact like sometimes you'll just go like how many plot points did you work out while your mom was talking <laughs> sorry um, yeah zero. I didn't realize I was doing it till it was pointed out to me but yeah there is a point when I kind of adrift and it's not because someone's boring it's just because i've got something in my head sure 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 i believe you i do have a thing where laura's having a full conversation and apparently i'm nodding along like i'm listening i know this is people are going to say that's just a marriage thing it's a mad thing that but genuinely my my head is it's literally in another world you know Mm. and then i go i'm sorry can you run that past me again and she goes oh (laughs) We are going to, you know, she gives me the whole spiel again. I'm, so, I'm really sorry. I was I was in three other alternate dimensions at once there. <laughs> do you find, if you know, if you've been doing a writing session, do you feel a bit dazed sometimes when you come out? You know, like if, you, if you've gone and watched a movie and you come out and then you've got to get used to the fact that everything's actually normal and your reality is there and yeah. it's not the reality you've just lived in the movie. I or when you have a time. really vivid dream and you wake up and you're kind of still in the mood that you were in in the dream, even though it's not real and you know it's not real. <laughs> it's it's very much like that. I kind of wander around a little bit like checking over my shoulder it's, and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah. it's not real. You literally just made it up, you idiot. Yeah. Seriously not real. No, it's true. But I think that's the other thing that I've learned really is that in my many years of writing is that... Um, <laughs> I do feel like I should keep saying, when I started writing, we still had slates. <laughs> but the one thing that I've learned is that there's no one approach and actually you change it, life changes it. Different stories demand different ways. I only realised last year that I didn't have to write chronologically. I'd wrote, I'd written, I'd wrote it. Totally no. editing. I'd wrote it chronologically for years. Um, but I'd started at chapter one and gone right the way through to the end, and then wondering why there's these middles that are just so soggy. But like, yes. like you know, no like the quicksands at Morecambe. So it's just, but we, the last time I did it, I thought I'll write till the, I write till it starts to be really difficult or I run out of yeah. inspiration. They're going to write the end because the end is exciting and I want to make sure it has enough room. And funnily enough, my edit's hard. It's a bit like the way, you know, isn't Bob King to Brunel used to go from, if you wanted to, if you wanted to go do a tunnel through a hill, it's yeah. start at one end, start at the other end, start in the middle and then and then kind of hope they all joined up. Yeah, joined up. A lot easier. Yeah, I, I mean, when I wrote uh, Grieve Burns, that's my first one, um, I was working exclusively night shifts. And man, can um... you tell? <laughs> and those characters clearly come from a fevered four o'clock in the morning brain. You know, back when I was a nurse, I've just helped someone to the loo <laughs> in the most disgusting way possible. Come back, started typing, and oddly enough, that translates into the weirdness on the page. But then I've, you know, I've, I've not done that since. Do you take a different approach because you write in different genres, lots of different genres? Is there a, a difference in your approach to? time of day that you write or how you plan it or have you found there's much difference or do you have to just see what it the main for? thing that changes <laughs> is what music I'm listening to while I'm writing okay other than that I did a blog post about this about 12 years ago Brilliant. when I still had a blog basically I was struggling to to find that sweet spot that we've just been talking about that part in the day or whatever or in my routine where oh that's my that's my sweet spot that's kind yeah. of my personal writing nook type thing um 
And so I started kind of making it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, when I was writing Oceanvana Complex, I wrote that exclusively in my local Cafe Nero because I was in between jobs at the time. That's a fancy way of saying unemployed, ladies and gentlemen. Living it, yeah. um, <laughs> um, And I had to get out of the house or lose my mind. So I used to yeah. go every day. I used to buy one cup of tea and make it work <laughs> and make it last all day. And I'd, and I'd sit and I'd write. And I yeah. realised that actually the background noise was really good for my concentration. Yeah. And that's what I had on the hospital wards as well, because I know it was like uh... four o'clock in the morning, but there are people moving around. There's like the hum of beds and machines. And if I try to sit here right now in perfect silence, yeah. I cannot write a thing. My brain is too loud. So now I tend to make my own space based on whatever's coming through my headphones, if you know what I mean. That kind of gets me in a headspace. Yeah. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? If I'm writing steampunk and I'm going in for an adventure thing, then the Sherlock Holmes movie uh, soundtrack. Ooh, okay. Oceanbana Complex was mostly um, kind of late 70s, early 80s synth pop. Greenburn, I was listening to a lot of The Cure at the time. You will probably be able to tell if you read it. That makes um, sense, yeah, actually. Yeah. Does, I know, right? Um, <laughs> thank you, Robert Smith et al. And if I'm just writing horror, oddly enough, brown noise. Just nothing else. Just brown noise pumped in through my, my headphones. Um, and for some reason, it really helps my brain focus. Oh, really? Yeah, I have a loud head. No, I, I think silence can be deafening. I re, I re, and it was, silence was deafening, but it really is. Oh, I think. that's deep, man. That's really hey. deep. Put that on a t-shirt. How how deep are we? Oh, just that's you weren't expecting this from episode one, were you? It's all good. <laughs> um, now I have to put <laughs> I have to put together a soundtrack before I start a new book. I have some rituals yeah. that I have to follow. It used to be that I had to have a different scented candle for each book, <laughs> but I can't do that now in the tiny office because I literally would just, I wouldn't be able to breathe after a while. There's a lot of paper in there, folks. There's you a lot of paper. It's it. not very big. It's not very aerated. So we're okay. <laughs> Ventilated, not aerated. That's what I do. It's going well. Um, we do words. All my good words are on my page. I haven't got left any left in my head. That's it now. I have to now do a soundtrack as if I'm doing it for a film or a TV show. This is because, you know, people say, well, here's a question. So let's go off topic. Should you go off topic? Oh, let's let's do this. Strap in, folks. If you weren't a writer, what would you be doing? (laughs) Do you like that? That that actually, that was quite good, though. That was quite good. Um, I might keep that in. I mean... I've, uh, I mean, I've already been a nurse and an undertaker, so I feel like I've, so uh, cool. I've kind of hit my uh, hit my stride with those two. Uh, and now I, I work in a library, so of all the three things I could possibly do, I have achieved all the things in life. That's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why I write dark stuff. I think it's half half the nursing, half the, <laughs> half the undertaker stuff, and then students. Um, and it Love just, it. <laughs> Love it. My dream job would be a music supervisor who they're the people who pick the music. I would be a music supervisor on movies and Homes Under the Hammer. Because if you've if you have ever watched Homes Under the Hammer, the music supervisor on that is like every musician I've ever been in a band with. Absolute legend. The segues that they managed to get in, one lyric 
Martin, Martin, Louis, Martin, not Martin Lewis, Martin, what's it? will say, so we're just going to go in through the front door. You'll see it's painted a nice green. And then you've got Shaky singing Green Door. Green like, door yeah. I love it. I love it. I put music together that has the kind of the atmosphere that I want the story to have. Yeah. And not necessarily one for every scene because it, that changes. And sometimes as well, when I'm editing, I have to sort of do like a supplementary soundtrack because it's too noisy or I know it too well and I need to have yeah. something a bit different. But essentially I go for something that... When I listen to that music, it it really gets me in the way that I want the story to get people. Since I've been doing that, I see it in the first draft a lot more. I don't have to feel like I'm shoehorning it in because it's there, but it plays on repeat the whole time. And then I generally will listen to it from writing the first draft right the way through to to checking the proofs. The only time I don't listen to it is when I do like a final read through and I have to read it out loud because I can't have music as well. Yes. That's when my family have to put it with me, reading my book for six hours. Yeah, it sounded like a lunatic reading. Which is the answer to everybody who goes, why don't you do your own audiobooks? And let me tell you why. Because my family had to put it with me, doing all the accents. Trust me, it would not be good. No. Uh, no, that's the thing. You actually are great at accents and stuff like that. I genuinely think <laughs> you could do it. I could not. My accents are Dungeons and Dragons accents. All so good. they're just like horrid stereotypes um, because that's the only way I can do anything. I got asked to do like some author's notes on uh, the audiobook of Somewhere Beyond the Sea, which can I just say, I have to say, I have to say every time, is that if you get to the audiobook of my novel, Somewhere Beyond the Sea, which is set in Cornwall, it stars the very lovely Jonathan Bailey, who's currently Lord Bridgerton in Bridgerton, and he was the star of the second series. Can I just say, he didn't get that gig till he'd done my audiobook. Um, yep, so after after he did my audiobook, he won an Olivia Award, and then he got on like the most streamed, uh, the most successful streamed thing on Netflix for like ten years, and he's now taking Hollywood by storm as well. I feel quite mother hen about him, even though I never actually met him, but because he read my book, I'm just like, oh, it's Jonathan. He's doing so well. Bless him. Let's so watch well, what he's doing. He? Oh, look, he's on that Vogue. That's what. <laughs> on the cover of Vogue. It's all good. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a lovely elderly uh, neighbour at one of the places that I lived, one of the first places that I lived. Uh, and she was she was from, from Dudley, so, she, you know, she's about like me um, when I'm not really thinking about what I'm doing. And she said, she, when my first book came out, she was like, are you going to do any, like, are you going to be interviewed in all their magazines, like the film stars? I was like, I don't think that really happens. She was like, well, I'll watch out for you, my love. She says, I'll be checking my local Smiths for you being on the front cover of Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sheila, do that. That would be lovely. Oh, that's so, amazing. Front cover of Vogue. That's what you I'm have to do. I'm using Vogue now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, when I was recording, oh, off topic, sorry. Hey, when it's I, the brand, come on. They it. sent me different show reels or audio reels of the different audio narratives, which I don't, or you don't always get. So I was really chuffed ah. about that. So I, I picked Jonathan Bailey, just saying. Um, <laughs> I'm still you owning this. Like hardly anybody's listened to it, but I was still telling people. Uh, he did such a fantastic job on it. But I didn't get to hear their bits. So he was him and there's Claire Corbett, who is just the absolute queen of audiobooks. She's done every audiobook going. That's like the best audiobook. She wins awards for it all the time. She's the most gorgeous voice. So she was playing Saren and Jonathan Bailey was playing Jack. And they said, we'd, we'd like you to do like your acknowledgements and author's notes 
at the end it'd be quite nice to hear from you and I was like oh that's lovely I'm okay in a recording studio I've been a session singer for years I'm not a problem oh my life they didn't play me <laughs> they didn't play me any of Jonathan and Claire's bits so I didn't know like the radio full voice and how to do it yeah. And I went in thinking I was flipping Meryl Street. I had to go down to this posh <laughs> place in Clerkenwell or Clerkenwell. I don't know how to say Clerkenwell. Um, whatever it is, Clerkenwell. It was, I it was, genuinely have no idea. It was such a cool place. It was in a former prison. It was a former jail. And they'd made it into recording studios. It was the coolest place, like a form, former Victorian jail. Um, so I went in and they were like, so he go and they get, they've got a little lectern and I've got my big, you know, jug of water and it's everything all right for you, Mr. Dickinson, do you know what you're doing? I said, I'm absolutely fine. That's great. And I did it. They were like, oh, that's very good. Can we do another take? Which is kind of, you used to, I'm used to producers doing that. That's great. Can we do another 15 takes? That really was. <laughs> but they were like, no, that's great. And I did it in about four takes, which I thought was pretty good. Right. Yeah. And I thought I came away, like got the train back to the blessed black country and just going, oh, do you know, I think I did a really good job there. Maybe, maybe one day I could be an audiobook narrator. Maybe you know, I could do that. I did, maybe not my own books, but maybe I could get a job. This could be another career. Told myself it was brilliant. Then I got the recordings. You know, in America, when they have those car salesmen that do their own adverts. Oh, yes. Come to Chuck's car yard. We will sort you out. You know, it was like that. It was just... I'd like to thank my mum and my dad and next door neighbours, Budgie. I hope you have enjoyed it. Lots of love, Miranda. Oh, my love. So if, if you have got, if you've got access to the audiobook of Somewhere Beyond the Sea, please do not listen to the final two chapters unless you need a giggle. If you need a giggle, God. And I was gutted because I was like, because I, I know what my voice sounds like recorded. I've been, I didn't been doing random session singing jobs since I was 19. So I know, get to a studio, I can record a whole song in three hours with all the like loads of multi-tracking and harmonies and I can go and do that straight off and that's fine. I've been paid for it as well, which is always good. Um, although, you know, Flo used to tell me off for singing in the car. You know, you know, Flo and a witty one line is. We were in the car one time and she was in her car seat behind me and she we had some music on and I was singing a lot. I don't even think about it. It just happens. So I got just singing along and she just went, mommy, mommy, stop singing like this. Like really, the, the sort of seriousness that only at that point a four-year-old could pull off. Yep. And I said, and she's done this loads and it was just, I was like, actually, I really like singing. Thank you very much. So I, just, I said to her, excuse me. I'm a professional singer. People pay me to sing. And without missing a beat, my daughter goes, <laughs> well, I'm not paying you. <laughs> oh, take that. I'm not paying you, mum. Yeah. But yeah, so I thought I'm a professional. I'm professional. I love my professional in a vocal studio. I can actually do this. I can never do this. Like, do honestly, the reason that all the, these accents come out on Wattpad is just because this is the only place. Like, you're just having to listen to it. You're not going to... But no, so no one's ever going to pay me for to that audiobook, please <laughs> skip straight to the acknowledgements where you can hear a smash robot reading Miranda's I, I really acknowledgements. Like... <laughs> and they mash their mouth to bits. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Miranda Dickinson. Oh, no. <laughs> Suddenly, it, I, it doesn't even sound like my name anymore. What am I doing? No, it's horrific. Oh, yeah, so, I never do anything like that. I'm never doing audiobooks. I, I can't remember how I got here. I don't know how, how I'm doing it. Yes, I'd be a music supervisor. 
that's cool that for Holmes cool. into the Hammer but also for movies because that'd be quite good to put it's like a really good soundtrack together well all the editing skills that you've learned as well <laughs> editing the pilot episode of this podcast it was a learning was curve an absolute catastrophe you could do um movie trailers or something like that movie trailers no yeah you no, I could come up with the music because that's fun I just wouldn't want to edit it because it's Oh, I got to the stage editing the editing the pilot episode that I even could tell the difference between your voice waveforms and my voice waveforms. So when you take a breath, when you speak, it looks like a sword. I'll take, I'll do a screenshot and send it to you. It looks like a sword with a proper hilt and everything. So I would every time I would look for where you got kind of like the tip of the sword, and then that's where you take a breath, and then it goes back in. Mine. That's looks insane. like there's lots of little bits because I go, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> so yeah. How many times do I do a horrible laugh and it kind of just bounces up and down while I go? <laughs> I did I find that. out that I could edit your laugh. <gasps> I did it with mine as well. That's that's because it comes in chunks. Especially on Zoom as well, because sometimes there's a bit of a delay. We record on Zoom, if you're listening, you're wondering why we're talking about Zoom. There's also one that where I realised I, I took a laugh from earlier because I felt like there ought to be a laugh in there and there hadn't been. We'd been really serious for a while and I was like, this ain't going to work. No one's going to believe this one. <laughs> funny, but there's a little laugh. So I now have, I now have, I now have on my audio editing software, uh, I have a little chuckle bank. Which I've started a little bit like the a little bit like the the you know the, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop only not quite as good because it's a yeah, garage band but um really is good yeah a little chuckle bank and a little oh. mm, ah mm, yeah that type of thing because so so if you listen really closely to each episode of what pod you might go hang on a minute that's a laugh from episode one I recognise that one it's, <laughs> it's going to be like an episode of Friends soon it's just <laughs> just canned laughter dropped in all over the place all good well. Looping back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the person who asked the question. To be sorry for. It's literally called writers off topic for a reason. Um, (laughs) Every now and again, one or the other of us is going to realize that we've gone off topic and go, so where are we? What's my name? What are we talking about? (laughs) So Kate asked, how long usually from idea to first draft? Generally, a first draft is six to eight weeks, normally eight weeks. The fastest that I've written one is five weeks, which was with book five, which became Take a Look at Me Now. I'd written an entire book that everything had been okay and it was all fine. And my then editor didn't like it, which meant I wasn't going to get paid because you generally get paid when you send the first draft in, although it's different now. Now, when they say acceptance, they normally mean once it's gone through an edit, uh, which is not good if you're expecting it in January and then you find that it's March. Um, (laughs) But used to be when I first started, as soon as you handed in the first draft, provided it was kind of along the lines of the synopsis that you'd put in, they were fine with it. Um, But there was a storyline she didn't like, which is funny now because I don't think you could get away with. There was a storyline where there was a key member of one of the main characters' families who comes out as gay. And it turns out that... It's a beautiful story. I'm going to use it at some point where his family moved away and they lost touch and he thought that his granddad was dead and then he finds out that his granddad isn't dead and his father lied about it because when his grandmother died, the father came out and said, 
by the way, she knew that I was gay. The person that's been living with us as a friend is actually I'm in a relationship with. And it was her idea, which I thought there's this that the idea of what you will do for someone that you love. Like yeah, yeah. you're still in love, so but then you know, about? yeah, the best thing for the, you know, she didn't like because it was a gay storyline. Oh, is, is, is that it? Yeah. That's the only thing I can surmise because so she was like, it isn't working. We're not going to accept it, but we can fix it. And I was like, we're not going to No, You're not telling me what to write. I've had that right from the beginning, even though I've been very sort of capped offy and professionally grateful for a long part of my career. It was like, no, the initial idea is going to be my story. I can't, I can't write to order and I can't write to tick box. I just can't do it. Um, so I pitched her an idea on the phone and then had to find a piece of paper and write it down quickly after I'd spoken to her. So this this girl, right, she's very redundant and, and like she's always had a five-year plan and suddenly she doesn't have a five-year plan and then she gets the redundancy money, but she decides that she's just going to blow it on a, on a trip of a lifetime. And handily, she's got a cousin who lives in, in San Francisco. So she gets to go to San Francisco for eight weeks and they went, oh yeah, that's fine. So like, ah! <laughs> write it down. Yeah. So from doing that to handing in the first draft was five weeks, which included a five-day visit to San Francisco with the honeymoon fund that Bob and I hadn't used because we were both working and hadn't used. And literally, I just went, you know, we've got that money and we and it's like a year since we got married and we haven't done anything with it. Could we go to San Francisco? And Bob was like, yeah, yeah, when? I was like, kind of next week. <laughs> That's mad. Because my time scale is... What's your time scale, Craig? Not that. It's not is that. It, that was that was extreme. That hasn't happened since. I would go insane now. There's no way I could do it with flow. I just don't know how you do first drafts that that smoothly. I, I really don't. It, it baffles the life out of me. So I mean, my my first. Well, I think me and you do it very differently because you get your first draft like you're just telling yourself a story. Yeah. Like you're supposed to do. Like the mighty Sir Pratchett himself told us oh, all to do. Tezza. Tez, we love him. <laughs> we are basically a Terry Pratchett appreciation podcast. It's Pretty much. We hide it under a bunch of other stuff. See, I am terrible and I don't do that. Um, I edit as I go along. Seriously bad idea. It's like one of those kind of huge things that people tell you never to do. I edit as I go along. Yeah. My first drafts take me forever um, because I'm constantly, if, I, if I'm writing something and... I get to a point where I'm like, oh, actually, yes, that's better. And then I start writing, but then I yeah. think, right, I now need to go back and change this, this, and this <laughs> so that this is foreshadowed or, or flows through. I yeah. stop, double back like an insane person and add all of the back stuff in. And, then go, <laughs> and now I can continue. And then I carry on writing. So also because obviously, you know, you're a proper writer. And things Shush, like you're a proper writer um, too, Craig. Oh, I'm going to say this every week. Um, oh, I'm not very good. Don't oh, talk to me. I'm just that. little oh. from Doncaster. No, no, no. And, and I, Shush. I have a, a, a rubbish day job in a library. You have a day job. You have a salary. I dream of a salary. Yes. Can I just I say? To be honest with you, I uh, I know people are like, oh, you know, I really want to be like a, an author that just gets paid for writing. I don't have <laughs> enough confidence to think that I will get paid um for enough for doing that and i just i like having a safe life safety line the other thing is as well being able to go out and work and meet a ton of other people yeah kicks off a lot of my thought processes and stuff my first drafts take like a year yours take eight weeks yeah but how many times after you've done that do you then have to kind of go back i make myself do three drafts full drafts 
so I write the first one, which is kind of like draft one and draft two, because I've I've done yeah. the editing as I've got. Yeah, it well, you have, not you? Yeah, done your job. Yeah, so I've written draft one slash two. It's all there. I then let Laura read it. So that's Laura good. tells me which bits are rubbish. I then go back and change all the bits that she thinks are rubbish. Yeah, she's yeah. usually right. Yeah. And as soon as she points it out, I'm like, absolutely, yes, that is rubbish. And and I change it. And then, so at the end of the kind of draft three is when I hand it into the publisher. Yeah. So so after draft one, really, it's kind of almost as done as I can make it. Yeah. Or somebody else starts helping me out. The other thing is my publisher doesn't care <laughs> when I hand mine in. Um, <laughs> they just... They just don't mind. I think I finished Alan Shaw 3. They're like, cool, that's great. <laughs> it's been three years. Don't worry about it. All of my Thank publishers have been fine about deadlines. But on a couple of occasions when I've missed a deadline, I've missed it by about three days. And I'm just oh, distraught, so upset. And then one time, one of my editors said, I just had a manuscript in today and it's 17 months late. Right. So I never quite so bad about like three days. I think it's the Methodist guilt in me that's been built in (laughs) over the years. You know, if you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. Which is why I'm glad that um, IQ don't give me deadlines. I need deadlines though, because I just wouldn't do it. If I know I've got loads and loads of time, you can guarantee that I don't actually get productive until I have to write or it's not going to get written. That's what Kate asked. There you go. I'm yeah. Out of you in the end. I knew yeah. It. it focuses my mind. I, when I say about winging it, that's what I mean. Like I've always yes. been able to, someone, if someone says, can you do this? I'd be like, oh, okay, we could do this, this and this. And so in a lot of the jobs that I've had, over crazy jobs I've had over the years, I've ended up in situations where thinking on my feet has actually helped me. Yeah. It does mean that you do get a bit lazy with planning, although I've learned to plan. I've totally changed. I used to be a complete, well, people say pantser. Let me just explain that for anybody that doesn't understand what that means, because it sounds like I write in my pants. I do not write in my pants. Um, For one thing, I couldn't get the biro to work on the nylon. (laughs) She's gone. Yeah, so no, (laughs) pantsing is a right term for writing by the seat of your pants, i.e. not planning anything, starting at chapter one and kind of not really knowing where you're going to end up and having no plan at all, not following any kind of idea or or any structure, just trusting that the story is going to have structure there. And in my heart, probably that's what I am. My first book was like that. If you read Fairytale of New York, it's like, New York, New York, it's amazing, it's amazing. Oh, there's a plot. And it is very much (laughs) the way that I used to write because I didn't realise I was writing a book for a long time when I was writing that. It was just something that was... It was this big Word document that was growing on my computer. You know, like I didn't realise it was a novel. Since having flow, because the brain is not working in the same way as it did before, and especially since COVID, the same thing, Yeah, I have to write yeah. it down. So what I do now is I will do... There's no point. I was just going to hold it up to the screen. There's no point because you're listening to a podcast. I have, I, I will basically do kind of an act, a, a, a three, a three act. Well, I say three act, but it's act two's got two parts. Um. And I'll, I'll split it into, but like kind of a four, a four section thing. Uh, and I will do a rough scene plan of what happens because that helps me to get it in my head. But it's not, it's not so restrictive that I feel like I've already written the book and then I don't want to, because that was always the problem with planning. Yes. I didn't yeah. want to write the book after I'd written it because I, I like telling myself the story. At the end. But then I've also discovered the allure of tick boxes. Yes. It's something so lovely about getting it, getting to, I'm finally getting the moment, getting to the end of a scene and just going, tick, next one. Like, this 
something just really lovely about it. It feels like getting an award. Every it's, it's super satisfying. I used to be exactly the same though, pantsing all the way. Yeah. Um, and just on the the latest book that I'm writing right now, I've just for the first time done a three act plan and done a, done a proper plan. It's working great. It's, it is really working, and I wish I'd done it earlier. But um, yeah. For some yeah. reason, I just didn't. You know, when you're writing, Craig, here's another question we got asked. Oh, God, here we go. We yeah. got asked, because we did. We did an Instagram Live, didn't we? It was hilarious. Oh, yes. Yes, we did an Instagram Live. We were only supposed to pop in. Five it was minutes. a long pop. <laughs> in that way. Five minutes, Matt. And it was 38 minutes, was it? Yeah, something like that. We just anyway, talking like that. People were actually watching us, which was a shock to both of us, really. Yeah. Uh, and one of the questions that came up, which is brilliant, it kind of ties in with our main question this week or this this week this episode is what's your top writing snacks and do they change through the process of writing a book yeah so this was this was from noreen uh, noreen Nazim is a writer small plug her book is spelled expelled from uganda is really good but yeah snacks now i'm gonna let you go first because mine's really boring <laughs> I have to have some snacks when I'm writing, but they change. So when I'm writing the first draft, I kind of just, <laughs> I kind of just need to have nibbly things, bits of apple. And I did, I went really mad on almonds for a while, but they go off really quickly. And I realized I was eating dodgy ones for a while. So that was no good idea. There's a have, trippy section in the middle of that. It's a really trippy section. I'm just high on very, very out of date almonds. I'm high on almonds. I maybe should put a disclaimer at some of us. I'm sorry for the weird sections. I was high on almonds. <laughs> Now that I'm writing in the daytime, I don't eat a lot in the daytime. It's nighttime. It's like three uh, in the morning. That's like keeping no. your energy ticking over though, isn't it? Yeah. That's like working on night shifts. So, you know, I used to do exactly the same. But when I'm editing, I have to use food as a bribe uh, <laughs> to get through pages because right. it is a bit soul destroying. So I get the after eight mints out for the final edit. Oh, after eight. So I get an after eight mint. I say after every hundred pages, but it's probably more like 20. <laughs> and a bad day Five. come on we're trying to be honest with everybody Five. <laughs> um, books are our community now we are going to be excruciating it is only one box per book i have to say i don't just kind of like have a stash of them oh that's the okay then so got, i'm just about to start editing and then like there's an article going beep 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 back it in back it in we'll find somewhere to sit <laughs> You know, like we used to go on holiday and your dad used to pack the car and then they'd say, where are the kids sitting? <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's what it'd be like if I had, if I had after This is why I've been playing Tetris for years. Yeah. But then I, I max out on Yorkshire tea when I'm doing the proof edit when I'm reading it. Because I don't actually, I just read it out loud. So reading aloud works. Have it to. Just, it helps you to smooth things out so yep. much. So if there's things yeah. that you would like to know about the writing process, if you're finding it tough at the moment and you just want to know that you're not alone in it, send us a message or send us a, you can contact us. Okay, so you do the contact thing. You can contact yeah. us <laughs> at writersoftopic at gmail.com or lowercase one or one word. Uh, you can contact us on Twitter. Craig is Craig Hallam 84, which is the number of bestsellers he's going to have in the next five years. And <laughs> do something different every time. Um, and then I'm Wordsmith, spelt wrong on purpose. Uh, so yeah, you can contact us there. Just ask us. And if you, you know, if you're having a bad day, just reach out to us because we are generally hanging about online at some point yeah we're usually on either twitter or instagram or something like that then, and the email pings as soon as someone sends an email as well so I'll see, also you can ask us daft questions we have a daft question oh, i'm just oh, i'm going to apologize now 
during our Instagram live. <laughs> oh wait, that's what we were talking about. We were talking this about is Instagram when we started. We've this is where we call. We see we do come back. That was an hour long segue. <laughs> that was a bit of a loop. That was like the Nuremberg Ring. Came back here <laughs> and in a mini doing 25 miles an hour, but we're here. And um, yeah, so, so for one of the things that came up now, normally you get kind of like, who's your inspiration and which are your favorite yeah. authors? Not on what pod? Oh no, 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 no. Welcome to classic author Snog Marry Avoid. <laughs> I feel like there should be a fanfare. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I can't believe we're about to do this. I really can't. So we've, we've made... material so far, so I think <laughs> we need to, need to learn. Just to show that we don't take ourselves too seriously. So classic authors. Now, classic authors can just be, they can be alive or dead. Uh, obviously, you don't have to, if we're snogging them, we're snogging them at the point of their prime. We're not snogging them when they're dead because that's a whole different podcast that we're not getting into. That would not be a family-friendly writing. So it's authors that we admire that we would A, snog, B, marry, and C, avoid. So we did have a discussion about this the other day, didn't we? So we don't want to get, we are going to get sued at some point. We're not going to get sued on this, hopefully, because we've we've discussed it in beforehand. Craig. <laughs> oh, great. Who would you snog? So um, I, I went slightly, because I'm always off brief, um, just ask my publisher. And um, <laughs> I went slightly different because I went for authors that are quite famous for writing romance or steamy stuff anyway oh oh this is yes liking your style okay yeah uh so i I had to come up with the three this is the other thing as well folks i i'm not really that well read to be honest with you um there are there are massive like in inverted commas classics that i have just avoided because it sounded like it was rubbish i tend to read popular stuff i read a lot of niche stuff and like, you know, horror, fantasy, weird things as well. But so I went for ones that I had heard of. Okay. And I actually knew what the material that was. you like them. Um, sure. Okay. Um, so uh, <laughs> do you want me to just do who I'm going to snog? Or do you want me to tell you who my three are? Tell me who three are. Let's do it. All in one go. Snog, marry, okay. avoid. So my three romance slash spicy writers are E.L. James. Right. Um, for obvious reasons. Uh, Catherine Cookson. Classic. Who also writes uh, slightly spicy stuff. Oh, she she did. Uh, and uh, Stephanie Mayer as well, because I have <gasps> actually read uh, the the first twenty pages of Twilight. But, okay, which one out of these lovely these lovely writers would you be snogging, Craig Callum? Oh my god! <laughs> I think um, this is really bad. Um, I think what I said was. <laughs> That I would probably snog Stephanie Mayer. Yes. Okay. Good. Just don't watch her sleep at night because that she seems to be like that. That's but creepy, kids. Well, creepy. Do, just because she's got that kind of like romance kind of side to her. It's the passion you know, side. It's don't get the... me wrong. Vampires don't sparkle. Please stop. But the <laughs> other side, I feel really passionately about this because vampire fiction is like my jam. I like a very specific kind of vampire. Not a glittery one. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Stephanie Mayer, I think, because yeah, kind of, she's a very, she seems like a very romantic person. Romantic. Okay, good snog. Good snog. Mm. Who are we marrying mm. out of this lot? I think marry Catherine Cookson. Oh, I, I see. think she'd have a lot to teach a man. Well, yes. Um, and I think that she's got a, she had a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom to kind of pass on, and that would take a lot of time. And she always had very nice weddings in her books. Yes, well, yeah, she did. When she yeah. put them she through the ringer. 
<laughs> you had to always had really good weddings at the end. So you're like, oh, he's a bit of an idiot now, but he's going to be great at the end. Oh. I kind of appreciate the way she would torture people as well, you know. Like... <laughs> There's quite a dark heart at work there, really, isn't there? For there Catherine, is, yeah. Catherine Cookson's dark. She hated her characters, didn't she? Loved it, uh, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so who are we avoiding? So we're avoiding E.L. James. Oh! <gasps> Controversial. Not that we haven't been controversial already in this episode. We're avoiding E.L. James, not because of any personal reasons, but because <laughs> having read Fifty Shades, again, the first 20 pages, couldn't read on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, E.L. I'm really sorry. It's not, it wasn't for me. Um, I just didn't really agree with the uh, depiction of the whole BDSM relationship thing. Yeah, that's good. I feel like there's, yeah, you, there's a lot more thought went into yours than it's into mine. Because you have got, oh, you've got whole reasons and everything. Because I'm an overthinker. That's why. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. So, uh, my three. My three. Well, can I say three slash four? Because there's a tie. Oh, yes. Me. Yes, there is. Yeah, I remember you saying. So. E.F. Benson, who wrote the Map and Lucia books, who are kind of like a comedy of manners, set in the 20s. It's hilarious. If you look at so what Victoria Wood would have been writing if she'd been alive in the, in the 20s, that's all you need to know. I remember finding his stuff. I read his stuff when I was about 17, and I absolutely just fell in love. You, know, you just read an author, and you're like, you're my author. That's it now. Whatever you do, you write a shopping list. I am going to be avidly watching <laughs> everything going on it. Yeah, well, you see, I found Pratchett, but I didn't find Pratchett till I was 25. And then I was really upset that I didn't find him as a teenager because I could have really done with him as a teenager. So E.F. Benson uh, is there. Elizabeth Gaskell, who is, I love, who wrote North and South uh, that launched Richard Armitage's career. She didn't write it for him, like she wrote the book and then it was, you know, adapted. but yeah, loads of loads of Richard books. Armitage. <laughs> that, yes. That's all you need to know. She also wrote Cranford, which was the first book of hers that I read, and I read it before it was a TV series. Oh. There is a there's a gorgeous Hipster. hey, you know, I'm nothing, <laughs> I'm nothing if not current reading a book that was written in the 1800s. I used to teach, one of my many jobs is that I used to teach at a weekend stage academy, stage school academy, stage coach, which is really funny because people thought I drove buses and my notes, like, stage coach academy is different. <laughs> I'm just a drama teacher. Um, so, yeah, I, I used to do that. And it was in, it's uh, not far from me in a place called Litchfield, which is beautiful. And there is Dr. Johnson's house that you can go and visit in the centre of Litchfield. And so Bob would drop me off to go and do the stuff. And he'd look around Litchfield and then I'd meet up with him and we'd have, we'd have like lunch. And then, and we used to go to Dr. Johnson's house because you could look around it. But they had a really, really tiny, super cute little selection of secondhand books there. And they had this one copy that was beautiful. It was like a, a blue cloth uh, bound book that had this gorgeous kind of Victorian style bouquet of flowers oh, that were picked yeah. out on it. And it said Cranford by Mrs. Gaskell, right? Because oh. she was known as Mrs. Gaskell when yeah, she was yeah. first yeah, published. And I read it and I just fell in love with her voice again. I thought she was wonderful. So, there's, so we've got E.F. Benson, we've got Elizabeth Gaskell. Uh, we have P.G. Wodehouse. Woodhouse? Wodehouse? How do you say it? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I genuinely don't know. It's one of those words Woodhouse. I've seen written down a lot and I've never heard said aloud. I think I called, I called him Woodhouse when I was a kid. My dad was massively into Jeeves. And between the ages of seven and eight, I had glandular fever for a year and didn't go to school. Well, did kind of went to school on one day and then had three weeks off. Right. And the medicine they gave me was really strong. It used to make me hallucinate. So I was terrified at night. I used to have night terrors. So my dad actually sat up and read the whole Jeeves omnibus to me every night for over the space of months so that's why I fell in love really early on fell in love with PG PG Woodhouse Woodhouse and then the other one is Thomas Hardy not Tom Hardy 
I need to make this because that would be everything but a void. I'm just saying. Yeah, you've just, um, yeah, you've just shoehorned him in there. I could, he would just, but he hasn't written a book. He's read them on bedtime stories. Thank the Lord for CBeebies. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's watch this one again. Mummy, we've seen this one again. Let's watch it again. It's Tom Hardy. <laughs> It's a really good story, but we've heard it 90 times. Have you watched Taboo already? Look, Plot structure is very interesting. <laughs> mummy, mummy, why do you keep pausing the telly? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, not that time. The original Thomas Hardy, a.k.a. Tess of the D'Urbervilles, Mary Castor Bridge, Jude the Obscure. So there we go. Those are my, those are my three slash four. Oh, OK. So who are you starting off with the snog? So snog it is a tie between E.F. Oh. Benson and Elizabeth Gaskell. Now, this is the thing, is when we talked about it and we said classic authors, I thought we meant, like, the classic authors. And I said to you, I might end up snogging Elizabeth Gaskell, which is not a phrase I ever thought that I'd say. <laughs> but I just, I love her sense of humour. I feel like she would, because she was big big mates with Jane Austen as well. They had a whole load of correspondence. She also wrote um, one of the most, one of the best biographies of the Brontes as well. She was oh, brilliant. Really? But she has that sense of humour that you'd want to sit next to her at a party because she would have the inside track on everybody in the room and she'd have you in stitches when you weren't supposed to be laughing. Like, she'd be the person in the library just absolutely flooring you with a one line and then just walking away. Like, she'd just drop this word grenade and kind of left you. Um, So, yeah, there may be some snog action going on there, which was a bit of a shock to me to find that out. But, yes, it's it's a tie between the two of them. That's fair enough. Uh, So who who are you going to marry? I'm going to marry PJ Woodhouse, Woodhouse. I have to learn how to say his name because obviously, you know, he's just a joy. He's an absolute joy in a way that he he just approaches everything that he writes with so much joy that I think being married to somebody like that for a long time would just be a joy. Obviously, I'm married to Bob, so yeah, I get that joy anyway. But um, the idea of being with someone who's constantly cracking jokes, you know, I think he's really lovely. So, so yes, I'd be marrying him. Who are you avoiding? Thomas Hardy. He's the most overrated writer in the whole wide world and no one is going to tell me otherwise. I know I disagree with lots of people. I had to study Jude the Obscure for A-Level and it nearly stopped me reading books. Why that one? I don't know. I don't know. We had had the worst... (laughs) So angry about that. We had the worst Shakespeare, right? We had we had Richard Shakespeare? II. Oh no! But for GCSE, Henry the Fourth, Part One. So it's like reading the prequel. It's just right. So I'm I'm annoyed that I had to go and watch four and a half hours of it at the RSE. It's so terrific. Angry. Yeah, no, it is. Still not over it. Years later, then we had the worst one of the Canterbury Tales. Was we had the Knight's Tale, which is all like I want the wife of Bath. You know, I want that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we got yeah, great Obscure. film, not a great story. All I will say about Thomas Hardy, I said this to you the other day, is that if Thomas Hardy was alive today, he would be writing EastEnders, but everybody would die. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The level of hatred for the man. As soon as you think, oh, they're going to be happy. No, they're not. Because you've got people hanging themselves and just, I mean, I get a little bit of tragedy. I'm quite down with it. But when it's just, no, I'm sorry, I think you were enjoying yourself then, weren't you? Let's just make it really awful. Also, yeah. if you've ever had to read any of his poems, you find out he started writing poems oh, after yeah. some somebody bought him a rhyming dictionary. That's all you need to know about his poems, where I could not follow with wing of swallow. Oh, oh. good job. It wasn't a robin. What would you do then, Tom? Eh? What would you be doing with that? <laughs> <laughs> I would be avoiding the author, Thomas Hardy. I would not be avoiding the actor, 
Tom Hardy. Completely oh, who different. would? Who in their right mind would? Everybody. Oh my God, that's what... Yes, so if the <laughs> classical authors... Oh, the problem is I love them all. Are there any that you don't like, that you think are overrated? I don't know, because all the, all the authors from, like, the 1800s, I absolutely love them. So, um, well, the ones that I've, I've read, because I always read the gothic stuff and things like that. Yeah. So, like, Emily Bronte, awesome. Mary Shelley, awesome. Somebody who write, writes Wuthering Heights can probably get a snog, you know? I mean, that, that's pretty high romance stuff. Yeah. Um, Mary Shelley's definitely a marriage material, I think. Oh, yeah. She was absolutely awesome. And then the only other one that springs to mind is Horace Walpole, who you would 100% avoid because he was a lunatic. He was a loon. No, he wasn't good. I mean, he wasn't man good. had a dream about an armoured helmet thing coming down the stairs and decided to write a book. It's like, yeah, sure. All right. All right, Horace. I want to go visit his house, though, because his house is still there. Anyway, so if you'd like to ask us a question... Along these kind of lines, you want to ask us a daft question, ask us a daft question, see see how completely tidy knots we could get over your question. That might be <laughs> that might be exciting. Yeah, if you want to ask us anything, obviously, if you're on the Patreon thing, you can drop us it on Patreon. But if not, then we're everywhere. You know, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, uh, we're on Twitter. Um, the email will be in the bio of writers off topic at gmail.com. Also, if there's anything you'd like to see on the show, I mean, don't ask us to stay on topic because I mean, that's just not, that's never going to happen. That's um, the brand. That's the brand. But uh, yeah, if there's things that you'd like us to talk about, if there's areas you'd like us to talk about, if you if you just want to ask us a snug married boy question, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to give us a list, if you want to give us a list of people, that'd be great. Yeah, who would you snug marry avoid? Let us know. We will be asking this on social media when this where this app goes out. And for everybody who has asked a question that we haven't got around to answering uh, this episode as well, don't worry. I have got a list. We will got a spreadsheet, to everybody. I've got a spreadsheet. Okay. He does flat pack. He has a spreadsheet. <laughs> He's the epitome of an organised author. 21st century male. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will get around to it. So. But yeah. yeah, thank you so much for listening, everyone. We really, really appreciate it. It's been amazing and lovely to spend time with you. Thank you, Craig, for a very lovely first episode. Thank you, Miranda Dickinson. So listen out for the next episode. We'll be coming very, very soon. Uh, if you've got anything you want to ask, if there's anything you want to do, tell us, tell us uh, how you write, tell us what you do. Have a chat oh, with yeah, us via Patreon or you can email us or send us a message on social media. We'd love to know what your top snacks are, when you write in the day, how long it takes you to write. Do you do more than one draft? Uh, are you a pantser or a plot? We would cover those sort of things, I think, more in in, um, in future episodes as well. We can give it a bit more time. Um, but yeah, any of that stuff, let us know. So you can contact us on social media, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, and writersofftopic at gmail.com. I'm going to keep saying because I'm very proud of that one. And then... <laughs> Or contact us through Patreon as well. And we will be back very soon with another amazing episode of What Pod. Woohoo! Say goodbye, Craig. Goodbye, Craig. <laughs> <laughs>